Well, uh, I just wonder uh, what it would have felt like on the 11th of November, 105 years ago, when it was heard after a war that was only gonna was originally meant to only be a few months, ended up becoming four years, when it was heard for the first time across the world that there would be peace, that peace was declared, I'm sure, for the families at home. There would have been an immense sense of relief. There was um, jubilous praise and, and massive celebration all across the streets of the UK. But also for the many women at home whose husbands had gone out and fought, um, the reality that they weren't coming back, there would have been immense sorrow. And for those that were coming back, they were coming back forever marred by war, coming back perhaps expecting praise, a, a hero's praise, and yet the reality of coming back to a country desolated by war, um, having to pick up the pieces and carry on. Many soldiers that came back for the rest of their life struggling with things like post-traumatic stress disorder. This was the war that was said to end all wars. And yet, as is so often the case, a war that could be argued that begot a future war. Germany, of course, so crippled by how things were left at the Treaty of Versailles, um, that out of that resentment, there grew an evil ideology under Hitler with the Nazis, and that, of course, led to the Second World War, a much bigger war. Well, in the context of what has been read in Isaiah's context, Isaiah is someone who lived in a time of war. Assyria, the massive empire of the day, was always looking to expand, and as a result, the northern kingdom of Israel had been overrun, and, and many of its leaders were taken into captivity in Assyria. And then many years later, as Isaiah's uh, writing, Jerusalem, his home, was uh, essentially being besieged. And during this time, Isaiah, in conflict with the country at war, he did not lose hope, but has this wonderful vision from God of a vision of worldwide peace. Do you hope you're looking at this passage in your Bible? Just look at verse 4. The words will appear on the screen. What beautiful words. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. This link of Remembrance Day really back to the harvest and thinking about weapons being made into instruments of prosperity to help the land, to help the people. Uh, we might think of an equivalent of it being like a tank being turned into a tractor. Can you imagine such a scene? If, you, um, if we go to the next slide, this is a picture that I'm 
Many of us may have seen before, this is a statue, Christ the Redeemer of Andes. And it stands on the border between Argentina and Chile. And these two countries were at war for, for many years over to do with where the border was. And when peace was eventually established, actual cannons used in the war were melted down to help build this statue representing the Prince of Peace. It's a lovely picture of a modern-day equivalent of what Isaiah believed would one day be seen across the earth. But of course, this vision over two and a half thousand years ago, these words spoken, was it just wishful thinking? Is it just a nice image to have in our mind, but never something that would be reality? Um, the famous New Testament scholar and atheist Bart Ehrman, who debates Christians quite a lot of why he doesn't believe the Bible is God's word and why um, he believes atheists is the right worldview. Um, he was asked once, what would it take for you to believe in Jesus? What would it take for you to believe that he not only existed, but he really was Lord and Savior of the world? And without much hesitation, he gave this simple answer. He said, if Jesus had fulfilled his promise to bring peace on the earth. Of course, we know as Christians that Jesus came as the Prince of Peace. If we've encountered Jesus, he has given us peace, and we become those who have peace with God, and we seek peace amongst all of mankind. But the question for us in these few minutes on this Remembrance Sunday is how do we continue to be those that work for peace? giving this remembrance talk where we think back of the sacrifice and we've sung about that those who have fought for our freedom of the past of which we must be so grateful for. But the reality is there are so many present conflicts all over the world. In most continents right now. And of course we'll be thinking of Ukraine and really on our minds what's happening between Israel and Gaza. How do we, if you look at verse 5, how do we become those who walk in the light of the Lord? How do we respond when we must feel so powerless to do anything about the many conflicts all over the world? With just a few things for us to think through and hopefully help um, as we come to terms with all that's going on. They're not found in this passage, but as we look at Scripture elsewhere, three things I want to say. The first, if you can go to the next slide, is this. We need to be those that weep with those that weep. We need to be those that weep with those that weep. wonder what, for you, is the saddest thing about uh, the conflict in Israel and Gaza at the moment. Surely the most obvious thing is the innocent people that are caught in the middle of things because of where they're born, because of their ethnicity, 
They're caught in the middle and perhaps seen as collateral damage. They just get caught up in all of that. Innocent and yet killed. Taken as hostages. And so with God's heart, we must be those that prayerfully stand and weep for these people. Creation that has been marred as creation has been destroyed, we must weep. Even as we think about those that are terrorists pursuing war, the Bible makes it clear that God does not delight in the death of the wicked. We must dare to do what Jesus said and pray for our enemies. We must weep for all, all the loss of life. On all sides, we must learn to weep. I wonder if that affects your prayer life, if it's affecting your prayer life at the moment, that it isn't just an intellectual exercise, it's not just something on your to-do list, but that it's really going to your heart and there's a sense of brokenness and maybe even spontaneity of prayer. Secondly, we must pray for world leaders. 1 Timothy 2 verse 1 to 2 says this, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. It's quite easy to be quick to attack our politicians, whom which so often we may not think very much of. But when it comes to being those who are in power, who have to work diplomatically to try and find peace in very complex situations, I'm sure very few of us would want their job. Verse 4 tells us that God will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. It's lovely to know that reality that one day God will perfectly execute his judgment. And yet in the meantime, the God who is sovereign, who is in control of this world, has decided that he will work through those in power and he will work through our prayers for peace. That should really empower us. If we look at certain world leaders and we don't think much of them, then maybe we need to spend more time praying. Praying for wisdom. That they would have wisdom as they are those who are called to execute very important decisions. And then lastly, we need to pray for the power and the presence of Jesus. Paul says to the church in Colossae, um, Colossians 4, 3, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. I love that. The fact that Paul says that God may open the door, even in his suffering in prison, his heart's cry is for the message of the gospel to go forth. Um, back in uh, the summer, back in July, I had the opportunity to go to Norway to meet with uh, Baptists all over the world. About 85 different countries were represented 
And the first people that I sat with to have a meal with were a group from Ukraine. And they were from the Ukrainian Baptist Seminary. And they had told me about how they had met in a bomb shelter built in the seminary. How the, bomb, the, the seminary had been in part blown up. Um, and through all this suffering, through what would cause a lot of fear and anxiety, the guy kept saying to me, please pray that the message of the gospel would go forth. That's our heart's desire amongst everything. And that seminary has now become a place where they have more students than ever. It's a place which has become a relief center for the community. And even during war, they have started new courses, new counseling courses, to help those who are working with children affected by the war. And the president of the seminary said this, the biggest thing the community has in these moments of being destroyed and bombed is fear and hopelessness. And the only one who can relieve and bring hope to the hopeless are pastors, churches, and Christians. So we need to pray that in all of this conflict, somehow the message of the gospel, the good news, would go forth. It would go forth in that thousand or even less Christians living in Gaza right now. That somehow the message of reconciliation between all people groups would go forth and change lives. We need to pray with people right now affected by war that they would know the special presence of Jesus. The reality is we cannot go to these war zones. We're just simply not allowed to go there. But Jesus is there. And as one pastor said, from Bethlehem, if we think about where is God in conflict, where is God in all this suffering? And he says, God is under the rubble in Gaza. Jesus is there. Because Jesus is the one who walks with those who are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus is with everyone who is frightened, every refugee, every hostage. He is there for those in pain, and so we must pray for the comforting presence of Jesus, for God's power and for Jesus' presence. So we remember, we're thankful for those who have sacrificed for our freedom, and we remember today all of those who are currently suffering because of war. Let's weep with those who weep. Let's pray for leaders and let's pray for the power and the presence of Jesus. Let's pray that the Prince of Peace would transform these war zones. And in the meantime, as we eagerly await upon his return, let us, as Isaiah tells us, walk in the light of the Lord. Amen.